This episode of Bike Talk was recorded December 20th, 2019 with Matt Resigno and Cindy Otteson. People over vehicles, right? It's like a very basic principle. You don't have a right of way because you decided to be in sealed in two, two yeah. tons of metal. You're not. But, in, people you, think that they are. They're like, well, I'm moving faster, so therefore I'm more important. Yes. You know, flow of traffic. It's such an entitled position, but we're like all born into it. You know, I still have a little are. bit of empathy for drivers because they're just trying to get to work. Their boss is probably exploiting them. And, you know, they have like <laughs> all sorts of stuff that they're angry about it's, and they're upset about. And, yes. You know, and they punch down. And talking about privilege and like the different positions we're in and who's vulnerable and who's not touch a driver's car and they will go absolutely ballistic like someone will literally almost kill you and you catch them at the light because of course you do (laughs) and now they want to kill you they don't understand that they are putting your life at risk and they're valuing their car higher than your life it's seen as normal right I am for slower traffic. Right, yeah. You know, and if you talk to people who are trying to keep the BRT out. When you say slower traffic to them, it sounds ludicrous. As a leader, uh, it is your job to always be open to having a conversation with everybody. It's about managing people's feelings. We can never say that a person's feelings aren't valid, right? Mm -hmm. We can say that facts aren't true, you know, but when somebody feels a certain way about it, we, we have to recognize and be respectful of that person's feelings. They were so ahead of their time, Fugazi. We really do have no control. That's what we have, no control over anything. Bullshit, we have control over a lot of things. All right, this is Bike Talk on the KPFK live stream. I'm Don Ward. I'm here with Nick Richard, co-hosts. Oh, I got to turn their mics on. For some strange reason, I'm in control of the, the board's. And uh, sometimes I screw up. Hi. Speaking of control. <laughs> control issues. Um, do I have control issues, Nick? Um, well, I'm just really d- beginning to to discover all of your issues and, uh, <laughs> as, as we do the show. Wow. Okay. I'm not saying you do. I'm, I'm learning. Um, so it's Nick and I on Bike Talk, and we have with us Matt Rusigno. And uh, we're going to get to him. We have uh, Cindy Ottison, who's a candidate for CD14, is it? Uh, four. Wait, is it 14? Yeah, four. 14. Oh, it's 14? Huizar's district, yeah. Because I had something happen in Eagle Rock, and I, it just made me it just made me newly active. Yeah? Was I, I you were telling me as a road rage? Yeah. I had you were driving. A road rage incident, Yes. Okay. And it was in Eagle Rock. And what were you, uh, tell and us. I was driving like two miles under the speed limit, which is, for a lot of people, unacceptable, you know. Like 40? What, what street were you on? It was Eagle Rock. I think the... Eagle Rock Boulevard? Approaching Cyprus. And I think the... Seven lane street, I believe, with the turning lanes. Is it? Wow. Eagle Rock. Yeah, I think it's three lanes and a turning lane. And right? Cyclopedia. In each direction? Could be. It's a big. Yeah, it's guess. a big road. They call it a strode. It's just a big road that they put through this residential area, 
or you know business area or something. It's just a lo- road that's way too big for the population density there. What does the word Strode come from? Like the S part of it. St- you know, to be honest, street I, and road. I yes, and it's something that I read about on Strong Towns on the Strong Towns blog. I don't know if you're familiar with that. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so you're driving, you're on Eagle Rock. Oh, what happens? Yeah. You're um, under the the speed limit. So uh, this woman is right on my tailpipe. If I have a tailpipe, I don't know. And she's right on your ass. And she's gives me the she flashes her brights, and then she comes around me, and we're approaching a red light. Yeah. And she acts like she'd be willing to say something to me. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, no, 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 I got to hear I'm We're going to have this conversation. So I roll down the window and she's got her teenage kid who, like, won't make eye contact, you know. Okay. And, and the mom, I'm assuming, says, uh, you know, if you're stoned or if you're looking for an address, you should just pull over. And <laughs> I'm like, do you see where we are? Right, we're at a red light. We're at a red light, and she's like three cars back. You know, it's not like if I wasn't there, she would have maybe made it. She piled up behind three cars at the light. Yeah, Yeah, so this is a habit. I've talked about this before. Somehow our driving culture, I guess just in the United States maybe, or maybe, I don't know, some of the – North American countries or something, but we have this habit of speeding up to speeding up to a red light, up to a red light, and then getting mad at people who yeah. slow you down as you are speeding up okay, to the wh- red light. What is let's and get then not feeling at even then that yeah, not feeling like a jerk. She was just not like, like a jerk. She still mouthed off to you about you going at a moderate, barely below the speed limit towards a red light. And so I'm thinking, what could I have said quick? All I, I was just like, I, I was stunned. And all I could yeah. think to say was something about her Jeep, like her, <laughs> you know, her black Jeep, you know, like what, uh, you go off roading in that? Ah, or okay, you got to get prepared, my friend. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, it's like, what can you say? I had a similar incident actually on a two lane road. And this guy was coming up behind me and I'm heading towards a red light and I'm driving. I'm trying to time the light because I don't want to stop. I'm like a cheap, miserly driver. And hypermiling. Yeah, you saw me. We When we got in your car, we brought the miles per gallon up from 25 Best to... 60. I have never seen <laughs> anything like that in my in my car. Are you kidding me? It wasn't I averaged, 60. It I wasn't averaged 64. No, it was, a, it was a Honda Hybrid Civic. And oh uh, my god, because we went from 20 when I got in your car, it was at 24 or 25, and then I coached you mm-hmm. into hypermiling. And so, do you do that now? Do you hypermile? Well, look what happens. I mean, but you still had to stop at that light. See, I would have been going even slower, yeah. She would have had to go around me. That's think, just the bottom line. I mean, what is a speed limit? What does it mean? Um, in the studio. We've got Matt Rusigno, and uh, I mean, in my mind, he needs no introduction, <laughs> but to our listeners out there, Matt Rusigno is an icon of the, the L.A. bike scene. Stop. <laughs> I mean, seriously, d- the guy does so much and lives, lives the life, talks, walks the talk, whatever you want to say. Like, uh, I just m- chiefly like know his you stories, his stories are not going to be about driving. <laughs> uh, they might be, oh. you know, are you driving now, Matt? Um, my girlfriend has a car, which is always okay. funny. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, but I took the train here, of course. Did you? Okay. Yeah. And did you bring a bike or no? No, I didn't. I was going to walk, but I just didn't have the time. I didn't want to walk back. You just recently had that crash on your bike, so we can maybe talk a little, little bit about that. But yeah. uh, I'm going to read your bio. Cause oh, this man. <laughs> Matt Rusigno got his start with bikes at four years old, racing BMX and riding trails in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So you're, you're from Pennsylvania. Yeah, man. And when did you move out to L.A.? Um, I moved to California in 2001 and uh, L.A. in 2003. Okay. Um, you've bike toured over 10,000 miles in six different countries. Uh, most of the Great Divide off-road route from Canada to Mexico. You're my hero for that. I saw that. <laughs> that I was, sounds amazing. Yeah. Great. Beautiful. It, the, you didn't do the entire thing. You had a mechanical, right, or something like that? No, we, um, we had time limitations. Like, we weren't racing. Like, people race it and do it in 14 days, and um, we only had, like, 28 days. And so we still had to go, like, pretty fast. Yeah. And um, we also had to get picked up, and so we stopped at the 10 freeway, about 90 miles from the Mexican oh, border. Oh, wow. Just because it was just easiest. Like, I don't care about the completion of it or whatnot, I you see. know? And so it was just like, we got to get back. and not going to make people drive an extra 180 miles to pick us up so we can say we finished it, you know? Right. Gotcha. <laughs> wow. Okay, so you basically did the whole thing. <laughs> um, you moved to California in 2001. We just talked about that. You graduate uh, for graduate nutrition studies at Loma Linda University. And uh, you are, what's your, um, you're a nutrition. And is it doctor? Are you a doctor? No, it's, a, it's called the registered dietitian is the professional okay. credential in nutrition. Okay. So that's okay. what I have. And, yeah. so registered dietitian. and so you have studied public health as it relates to biking too, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, my degree is in um, public health nutrition, but like public health as a field of study is like all about access and health disparities. And so, um, you know, looking at even like last mile, which is discussed a lot with transit, like it's very much a public health issue. Yeah. And we see it in LA, the Department of Public Health is in involved somewhat. They had an Obama grant for like 30 million to improve things like access on transit and biking and walking and public health folks worked on that. I don't know whatever came of it, but that's Yeah, did we follow the money on that? Did, did anything happen? I don't, I don't know. I actually applied for one of the jobs and I didn't get it. <laughs> God, I know that feeling. Yep. I've applied for jobs at some of the orgs and just not been able to get... I think it's because I'm too much of a loudmouth activist type person or Same. something. Yeah, and I know <laughs> Matt is that too. And Matt, you've carved... Really, your, your beard is so organized looking. <laughs> Thank you. I'm trying to talk it both sides of my mouth, I think, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. a very clean-cut um, mm -hmm. bike punk. Bike punk <laughs> was your moniker on... Uh, Midnight Riders, that's how I got to know you. <laughs> and uh, you organized some races, um, the, probably the most famous of which is the Feel My Legs, I'm a Racer hill climb race. And one of the hills is the most steepest hill in North America, right? Steepest street in North America? Well, the steepest, second steepest in North America. Okay. The steepest is actually in Pittsburgh, um, wow. which, is, which is relevant because my race is a direct ripoff of Danny Chu's race in Pittsburgh called the Dirty Dozen. Okay. And I thought, well, that is a phenomenal idea. Yeah. L.A. has hills that people don't know about, right? Because yeah, they yeah. only drive the main arteries. And I thought, you know what? This would be really cool for L.A. to do this. Yeah. And it blew people's minds. Yes. It was so fun. They were people like, are fanatical where about am this I? Race. You know, this yeah. is like pre-Strava, like, God, is it pre-Google Maps or close to it, you know, when we started <laughs> it. And so um, I just wanted to show people 
what LA has. And you know, going up on Baxter and Echo Park and people saying, where in the world are we? Yeah. You know, and you're just like a mile from Sunset Boulevard. Right. You know, right. it's like a great I, can thing. Can I tell a story? I, it's yeah. another driving story, which is just terrible. <laughs> but I was driving up one of those Echo Park roads and my car, that same hybrid. Well, these streets, these streets are steep. Yeah. I've seen pictures of like, my. actually my friend Ingrid took a picture of a bus that tried to go over Baxter and got stuck at the top because it bottomed out on the crest. <laughs> Feel the My street. Legs was there that day. Get out of here. Yeah. And you guys saw the bus? Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that is a legendary race. That race, like, I've, I've gone to watch it a few times. I've never actually had the balls to race that thing. And, and, and it's and, yeah, insane. I it, it's race is in the name. It's called Feel My Legs, I'm a Racer, which yeah, is a slow. reference to the S&M bikes video called Feel My Leg Muscles, I'm a Racer, which is one of the first like BMX videos and like a style of a skateboarding video. Oh, I never knew that. And so okay. like I referenced that as like okay. an old BMX kid, you know? Right. I thought Feel My Legs, I'm a Racer is really funny. Okay, okay, you know, okay. So it fit. But really it's about like only like like 10 or 15% of the people there are racing up each hill. Right. And that keeps a lot of people away. But really the majority of people are just there to ride up every hill yeah. and go on this tour because it's neutral between yes. hills. Yes. So it's actually a very chill ride. As yes. chill as something like that can be. Yes. Um, my wife just texted me that you cut me off and I never finished my story. <laughs> uh, well, your story cut off his story about his race. Not about, it's not about <laughs> you, buddy. Tell my wife. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to give a call later and we'll talk. <laughs> Uh, Can I finish my story? <laughs> yeah, of course, <laughs> Nick, for sure. I'm sorry. But uh, so I was going up one of these hills. It might have been Baxter, but um, I didn't have the power to keep going, and I had to b- put it in neutral and slide back down the hill. Oh my God! Yeah, in it. your car? Yeah. That was your story. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay. No, no yes, one that is a. It's. I've driven up one of those hills, and it's crazy. They're like twenty-five percent. I mean, they they wouldn't be built today. Yeah. So we have a steeper street than San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. Fargo and the top of one of the Baxters, because there's actually like four hills going up Baxter, right? Yeah. Two hills each side. Yeah. And um, is actually very steep. It depends how you measure it, right? If you really want to get into this. Yeah. If you want to measure from like the bottom to the top as an average or like the steepest section. Right. There's but a there's different that, Where that bus yeah. was stuck is the actual like steepest bit. And I think it goes over like 35%. The steepest bit of Baxter, or is that the it steepest It may be the steepest paved in the have. country, if not the world, or close wow. to it. Because it lips up. It looks like right. a, a ramp. Right, right. <laughs> it does lip up, yeah. yeah. And that's why that bus was stuck. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. I've actually ridden up Dwayne from Silver Lake. That was the best I could do. That's one of them. That's one of the hills. I mean, that one's a killer. It really is. Yeah, I'd love to go back and see if I could do it again with the granny gear. <laughs> I mean, I always had the granny gear. That's the <laughs> secret. Yeah. So, um, so that race is iconic, and it's now, are we going into the 14th year? Well, I didn't do it last year or this year. Uh, w- wait, okay, I thought it was coming up in February for some reason. Um, nope. Why it, is it, this it, not it, happening? <laughs> What's going on here? So, you know, the last few years, last year I put it on was 2017, it was getting to be a problem of people wanting to have their friends drive along. Drive and, along? And from the very beginning, I've said... 
look, we're going in these quiet neighborhoods on a Sunday with like up to a hundred cyclists. Yeah. The last thing we need is people driving the route. Right. I don't want to create extra Multiple car traffic. People wanted this. Yeah. Okay. And, and I was one of those guys one time. I drove and <laughs> met you at uh, El. I think it was Ellie Street, maybe, or what is it? Called? Yeah, Eldred. Eldred. Yep, Mount Washington. Oh, yeah. Too much um, driving in this show. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, man. Sorry. And, and you know. I, and like one year, like a cool bike shop, who like had sent somebody, and you know, and and they should know better. And I saw that he was driving, and I said, "Dude, you you can't drive on this." I love that. And and then I saw him again, and he just drove to the top of the hill and put his four ways on and got out to take photos. And wow. I and I made him leave. You know. Thank you. I mean, and, and he, wow. Yeah, and I'm like, look, this is about cycling in LA. Yeah. You know, and then um, and then in 2017, I had someone. They had their friends meet them on each hill. And then, like, they came to the last hill, and she, like, had the audacity to, like, put her bike in her friend's car right in front of me. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? Kitty, I like you know? that. I and mean, missing the missing Yeah, the and I'm like, come on, I do this ride. It was free every single year except for one where it was a benefit for Danny Chu. Mm. And um, I'm like, come on, all I ask is don't drive, you know? No, there's been, there are. Danny Chu, I'm sorry. Can you go over that again? Because that name's familiar, but I forget. So Danny Chu puts on this uh, race called um, The Dirty Dozen in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And that one is pretty epic. They end up riding like 70 miles in a day. Wow. Feel My Legs only covers like 25. We do 10 hills, they do 13. And so I took his race. I mean, I took the whole concept and just applied it in L.A. So, yeah. well, um, Danny Chu is also uh, a well-known ultra cyclist. He's done race across America five times. Mm. And he's won it three, I believe. And he puts this on. So we have overlap there as well, yeah, right? Yeah. And plus being from Pennsylvania, I have a bunch of friends in Pittsburgh. Um, and maybe four years ago, he's paralyzed in a solo bicycle crash. Oh, no car involved. Mm-hmm. Just one of those things. Mm-hmm. Doesn't know what happened. Mm-hmm. Paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And so that had happened just a few months, I believe, before Feel My Legs. Mm-hmm. And I was actually even then thinking about not doing it. And mm-hmm. then I thought, okay, I'm going to do it. And mm-hmm. so we raised money for Danny Chu. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. It's the risk. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing about cycling. It is a risk. Well, but driving is a risk. Driving is a risk, too. You know, that's what aboutism, my friend. <laughs> uh, so, but, I mean, there are guys. Okay, so let's talk about the race real quick, though, a little bit more. There are guys that are competing. It is a ride, and it should, I, it should come back. Please bring it back. Why are you <laughs> not bringing it back? I mean, I guess... We need volunteers. Well, he said it was this year already. It happened, right? No, no, no happen. I haven't done it since 2017. Yeah, yeah, we did last year. I did it 12, 12 or 14 years. Let me think if I can. Yeah, 12 years. I did it. 12 years in a row. Yeah, and I should, and I, I waver all the time. And then last year, you know, since I was hit in April, mm. it really putting it on would have been a very difficult. And then this year, I just like didn't even think about should it. Should we really. talk let's, about? Let's your talk about sure. the bike crash. Sure. Yeah. Um. You were in Pasadena, right? Yeah, I was, I was riding home through South Pasadena. Um, it was late. It was dark. Um, it was my first day back at work from um, going to Japan for a week. And so I was staying late to finish up some things. And uh, I was on, uh, oh, man, what street is that? That goes right across, uh, crosses the Gold Line stop in South Pasadena there. And what happened is 
someone, I'm going downhill, so my light, I had a very bright light on, right, flashing. And mission? So it was probably, South mission? Yeah, Mission, I think. Yeah, like between the Trader Joe's and the Gold Line Station. Something like there, that. There, yeah. And so I'm going downhill. So my light is very bright, but still pointing slightly downward. And what happened is a car turned left at the stoplight in front of me. Okay. Like enough where I'm like, come on, you jerk. You clearly saw me. You shouldn't have gone, but they went anyway. Yeah. They didn't almost hit me, but like still a jerk move. Yeah. Well, the car behind them decided, oh, no one's coming if they're turning left, and they turned left into oh. a gas station. Oh. So the first car clears my view, Yeah. and there's another car just oh. blocking me. You know, I'm going about 20 miles an hour. I'm on my road bike. I'm kitted oh. up, you know? And, I'm and not, 20 I'm, is pretty fast. Yeah, and I'm not pedaling. I'm not, like, racing or pedaling super hard, but I just come down a little hill, yeah. you know, my road bike. And so I just, you know, really fortunate I was able to, just turned right a little bit so I didn't hit my head, but mm. broke 17 bones on the right side of my body. Oh, yeah. Man. 17 yeah. bones sounds like a lot. Were there? Yep. yep. Like 11 ribs, 11 ribs. Um, a couple of my shoulder, my collarbone in two places, three minor vertebrae. So you kind of just slammed sideways, your body sideways. In bracing the car. for the impact. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got a last second chance. Just a, to, just a little turn left, you know. You're you're a seriously athletic guy too, so like and, you and BMX sort of, sort of prepared for that. You probably, if you would have been like a like a regular human being, they would have maybe died. Probably dead. Yeah. I mean, 20 miles an hour hitting yeah. a wall, you yeah. know, yeah. probably yeah. dead, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, considering how, what it did to my ribs, yeah. probably would have bashed my head in enough to be yeah. dead. Yeah. As scary as that is. Yeah. Wow. You know? So did that, how long were you in rehabbing for that? Um, so I did two nights in the hospital and then I was let go and they didn't do any surgeries or anything from uh, Pasadena Memorial. And then that first night home was absolutely terrible. And then I woke up and I couldn't breathe and I couldn't move. I'm like, oh, no, this isn't right. And I went to the doctor. I should have just went straight to the emergency room. And the doctor's like, emergency room right now. Like, I'll let you drive, but realize I should call an ambulance to get you there. And it ends up I had blood pooling in my chest cavity. Whoa. And so I went to Cedars, and they're like, what is going on? You need a chest tube immediately, which Whoa. hurts a lot. Um, and then they were like, what is up? Your collarbone is busted. Your shoulder's busted. Your arm is barely hanging on. How in the world did they let you go? Wow. I'm like, you're asking me? I don't know. I've been on pain meds for 48 hours. Wow. Yeah. And so then I spent four nights at Cedars. We did uh, put plates on my collarbone and, uh, yeah, and uh, recovery. I mean, I, you could argue that I'm not fully recovered yet because I haven't built back all the muscles yet in my shoulder. Um, so it's been a long thing. It's been a year and a half. How was, I mean, okay, so the car driver was at fault. Yeah, it was funny, well, as funny as this could be. Um, I'm like laying in the street, right? And like there was an off-duty nurse there who was so friendly. And let me tell you, man, having someone there who's friendly like helped mm -hmm. so much because the cops, kind of jerks. Yeah. The paramedics, kind of jerks. Yeah. Oh, you have a fixed gear? You have brakes on your bike? I'm no like, way. And I'm like, the paramedic. I'm like, fuck you, man. I'm on the ground in pain. And, and you... Uh, you know, and I'm, and they're like, what's your address? He's standing over me with an iPad, you know, mm. what's your social security number? And, you know, they're like, what hurts? I'm like, everything. I, my collarbone's broken. And they're like, yeah, how do you know that? And I'm like, I've seen it happen like half a dozen times. Yeah. Again, BMX, right? Yeah. And they move my arm and I'm mm. screaming and I'm like, what no, are you doing? No. You know, it was wild. I couldn't believe it. That's like, a, I, that's a lawsuit right there. <laughs> like just, that is a lawsuit. Yeah. Well, also for the people who let you out with. Yeah. What you just described. I know. I know, but yeah. 
who knows? Who knows, right? Medical. No, I know because and I've seen this happen. We had a crash on Wolfpack one time where this this uh, woman that was riding with us, we were bailing down to the Santa Monica Pier and we hit the rough wood mm-hmm. going really fast. And uh, Rebecca. Rebecca, her forks liquefied or something. They were independent forks, so there was like a legit company. The forks bit like liquefied and bent, you know, in the middle of the forks and mm. she flipped over and the paramedics came and moved her and you know she, she broke had broken her neck, yeah. yeah. So she I think she got into a lawsuit with them. I mean and That's like everybody knows that though, that you don't move somebody I, th- yeah. That's the first time that I even heard of it. This was because uh, yeah. I'm not in the you know medical field or anything, or I'm not, I just wasn't aware of it. And it's like don't move somebody, you know, at all. It, it was wild. Like they were fixated on how fast I was going. Like how fast were you going? How fast were you going? And I'm like, why does this matter so much? And they're like, well, if it was a collision over 25 miles per hour, then we have a whole different protocol. Oh, okay. And I'm like, but I'm not in a car. But what, what's there? What's okay? Mm. Now I know that the the traffic division of the LAPD is the way they treat things. I'm not saying this is the same with Pasadena, but there is like ways. Like if it's a severe crash, which 25 miles per hour is not that's not fast, you know. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm I, not they, sure. They, it might be something that that sort of elevates the amount of resources brought to to that incident. I yeah. Think. Maybe. But yeah. yeah, is it one policy for if you're in a car or not in a car? It I don't know. Yeah, don't that, know. those and, are things that we should really try to find out and get to the bottom of. Yeah, and, and I didn't, and maybe I should have. Um, I mean, I'm like laying in the road, and this nurse is helping me, helping yeah. me like call my girlfriend and stuff. And um, the cops show up, and I'm like, I had front and rear lights. I was in the number one yeah. lane. I had the right of way. The car crossed the double yellow. Yes. You know what I mean? I'm yes. like incredible pain but i'm like this has to go in the police yes. report because mm. these i can swear right yeah yes you can <laughs> yeah, fuck it because <laughs> i'm like i'm like you know these motherfuckers will if that's not on paper i'm screwed insurance yes. wise all of this stuff and i'm like that has to get on paper so maybe they all thought i was a giant jerk and so they're like you know f this guy and they dumped me in the emergency room waiting they didn't even take me wow. in the thing they wow. just dumped me and my bike in the waiting room and wow. I was shocked when they're like, all right, get out. I'm like, what do you mean get out? Man, okay, listen, <laughs> Matt, d- this needs to be elevated. They need to feel pain for this. This is the way they treated you. That's not right. Yeah, but a lot of uh, This is documented, just, too. Yeah, but I mean, document. I don't even know who the ambulance was. Uh, no, that's all documented. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. That's somewhere, but I don't yeah. know. When was the accident? April, okay. April 2018. Is there a statute? Limitations on that. I mean, I talk to a lot of lawyers, like really fortunate. Like I have a lot of privilege, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, seriously, like I had a lawyer, lawyer in the emergency room before I even saw a doctor. Oh, really? Cause oh, Because he's, wow. he's my good friend. Okay, you good, know? good, good. And good, then good. I had like multiple bike lawyers looking into this. Like good. I had a lot of help. I really and, did. And, and they feel that they there were like, no, isn't no. something that you can. I, I think uh, it's one of those things, you know, where we're like, the public is like, that's a lawsuit. And really it's right. most often not. You okay, know? and the reason that I say the reason that I advocate for lawsuits when it comes to our rights and like sh- stuff like this is because that's the only thing that makes them listen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a really when unfortunate the, when truth, it hurts yeah. their pocketbook, then they listen and they change their policy mm-hmm. and behaviors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm trying to, because every police organization that I've ever like observed, um, they treat these 
you know, bicycle incidents like it's nothing. It's like we are legitimate vehicles on the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we deserve the same rights and attention. Yeah, I, I in I fact, we deserve more. <laughs> right, because we're more vulnerable users. We're more right. vulnerable, yeah, and we have yeah. more rights. We don't have to get a license. Yeah, right. You know, I, so I, we should get more protections. I agree. I remember when Jen Diamond was hit. Um, al- this was also like probably ten years ago, fifteen years ago, and um, at, she's also at night like a, riding a, home. I remember Jen Diamond's name from. You know, the back in the day, yeah, even I wasn't really. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and she, she, was, she hit, was hit, and it wasn't her fault. And she's laying in the road, and the cops show up, and they say, "What are you doing on a bike ride this late?" <laughs> she's like, "I'm riding home." Yeah, what do you commuting, mean? right? They're just like, "Oh well, you know, maybe you're asking for it being out riding yeah, bike the, around the, at the, night." See, that's you know? the attitude that's culturalized across the country. Really, the, the yeah. this attitude towards um, cycling and pedestrian. Uh, modes of transportation which is really just sad i'm not trying to yeah be like the ultra activist like it's just sad that we can't walk around our environment safely you know and ride bikes it's wild right because i think about this a lot all the time because i want things to change and it's actually like really tiring to always be thinking about this right and if you like go against what's normal it's it's you're you working against so much privilege there's so much institutionalized privilege or institutionalized I don't know culture of of driving cars and I can understand it because you know people got people were really excited about the personal automobile in the 40s and the 50s they had so much promise it was the future they're still pretty excited about it (laughs) they're still really excited about it and yeah so there's a lot of marketing behind it to make it exciting and things like my, that. My and wife just texted again about uh, the time that she was their car was totaled, and then the um, the ambulance and the and the and the uh, highway patrol um, called the wrong tow truck and just left them there at a Denny's and uh, didn't check them or anything. Now, was I'm, she injured? She should call in. You should call in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I mean, now I want to talk about. You know, we, we talked about the reasons to get active. We talk about the fun. We talk about the safety. And then there's the getting active part. And there's different ways that organizations and groups and people get active mm-hmm. DIY. in, in bike politics and politics of Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, the activists, they do things, they do actions and uh you know i heard your friend i was gonna say maybe your friend bike punk could get on (laughs) and we'll we'll have one of those like one of those uh scramblers for the (laughs) voice (laughs) we need to invest in one of those we're gonna talk about the department of diy folks and if anybody out there knows what the department of diy is um keep it a secret but we're gonna talk about it right now check the bicycling issue that covered it uh, it was in bicycling. Oh, was like a it? six-page spread about the Department of DIY in Los Angeles. Oh, it wasn't called really? the Department of DIY, but um, oh, it's this dude on Twitter. What's his name? Sean something? He's like a... Oh, Sean. No, Sean. Um, he had a bike. Uh, not, he had that blog, Blogging in L.A. Sean. Maybe. Um, I don't know. That's not important, but yeah. he coined this phrase, Department of DIY. Department of DIY. Okay, so Would, that's where that came from. Yeah. We have so a phone the number, by the way, in case you want to get Oh, yeah. It. If anybody wants to call in, you can call us at 818-985-5903. 818-985-5903. Um, give us a call. 
we'll zap you right in. Um, but the Department of DIY was a code name, and pretty much there were a lot of members, and uh, they did actions and, you know, paint bike lanes on the street. That was one of the actions. Do you know anything about that? You know, I heard about it, you know, being involved in every part of cycling and in Los Angeles, the city I love and making it better. Yeah. Yeah. Like the one on um, where Sunset Boulevard turns into Griffith, where it forks with Griffith Park Boulevard. Do you know that? If you're heading yes. uh, west. Yeah, they now you, shut down Griffith Park Boulevard. Right. And so before but they do shut down. I remember that bike lane. Right. Remember the bike lane stopped? Yes. And then somebody, 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 somebody from the Department of DIY painted and they were they were striped yeah it was a uh, dotted line yep yep just let uh, drivers know you're crossing the damn bike lane that would be so <laughs> useful right there i mean they finally did cut they did they finally did shut that little street off griffith park it's at the sunset triangle um they finally shut that street down and they had to put concrete barricades because people weren't holding the line mm. and it was so appreciative when i saw that the department of diy painted they continued the bike lanes through this gap mm-hmm. with dotted lines. And it I really felt like, wow, I could tell it was Department of DIY. <laughs> but I was like, if the city would just fucking do this right here, it would help just a little bit our lives, you know? So, when so it wasn't like you, you could tell it wasn't like a... A real dotted yeah, line? Maybe. No, I mean it was it was good. It yeah. was good, but I I mean if you look, close, I have a background in yeah. yeah I'm a bike nerd and a background in street art, so I could I could tell. <laughs> but it well, looked legit. People. Yeah, it helped. Yeah, it helped because then drivers see, oh, I'm crossing something. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like most people's awareness and self awareness yeah. is so incredibly low, and then when so you put them in a two ton vehicle, it's deadly, right? At Forty thousand deaths a year. Yeah. You know, and so this like combination, at least like a dotted line, they might glance and say, oh, I'm crossing something. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like those things improve the the just the the mood of the street when there's like thick lines and it's telling you where to go mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. like you have to drive carefully so you don't fuck up. You're aware of a lot of things happening. There's a lot of crisscrossing happening. Right, mm-hmm. right. Driveways, other users of the road. I want to put in bollards. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so more places for sure. There are department of DIYs in other cities too, right? That maybe call themselves whatever they call themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, I've seen them put bollards up in Seattle, and that's become legit. Yeah, um, just narrowing the intersections, you know. Yeah. And, and and just to control vehicles more, because just like this is true in so many political issues, like asking people to do better can only get you so far. Mm-hmm. Right, it can only get you so far. You got to punch them you in have the nose. To, yeah, <laughs> sometimes. Um, but you know, I mean, if you make the roads better, it's better for everyone. It's not just better for drivers. I don't. Um, right, right. Is it from uh, Amsterdam or Copenhagen or one of those cities where um, someone wrote a book with this, uh, based on this research, that um, when drivers feel that the it's more dangerous, it's actually better. Because they have right. to be engaged more, as opposed to just being on autopilot. Okay, right. you know. When you say more dangerous, let's talk well, a little bit more mm-hmm. about that. I can get real nerdy. <laughs> so there's there's a thing called a uh, shared space that mm-hmm. has been experimented with in Europe, in uh, the Netherlands, mm-hmm. and some people are touting how great it is. It's the idea that you take away all the lines, 
Mm. And, you know, traffic just needs to go through there the way it does. And because there is no order on the road. I'm not talking about that, removing the lines specifically, but more generally about this idea that when drivers are more engaged, like they would be when there's no lines, they feel like it's more dangerous. Oh, my God, what's going on? You know, like I drove in Tirana, Albania last summer. And I was like... Oh my God, this is another level because it's just like, what is going on? There's so many things and it feels more dangerous, but really with the flow and everything, I don't know that it was maybe me driving there is more dangerous, but for most of those people, it's less. You were saying in Albania? Yeah. We can actually look up the statistics. Because <laughs> we don't have to do that. <laughs> I know, but the, the, the idea of the shared space thing that's getting out there, we've got to squash that because what uh, ends up happening is it becomes a might is right. Kind got of it, situation. Got it. I see what you're saying. Yeah, so I don't want to go down Somewhere like that Albania, there's probably a critical. There's probably a critical mass of people riding uh, low cost transportation like bicycles mm-hmm, and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that there's more of a cultural yes, sort of absolutely must but be a part of it. Their traffic. I mean, and they 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 probably it it makes sense. It works. There isn't people driving 50 miles an hour. You know, everybody's mm-hmm, sort of mm-hmm, oozing mm-hmm. through the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in our country, people are achieving 50 mile an hour speeds and it feels like nothing to go 50 miles an hour. Right. And that needs to change. And yeah. I don't think I wouldn't recommend removing things from the road to do some, that. For some those. people do. It's just a yeah. discussion that's out there. But yeah. I, I personally have observed that that just ends up, you know, over time it becomes might is right. The cars just whiz through and the pedestrians are timid right, and, right. and we want pedestrians to be prioritized is uh, our communist goal <laughs> for uh, <laughs> yeah i mean people over vehicles right like it's like a very basic principle it's like you don't have a right of way because you decided to be in you know sealed in two ta- two yeah. tons of metal you know you're not but, yeah, imp- people you think that they are they're like well i'm moving faster so therefore i'm more important yes you know, flow of traffic and it's like it's such an entitled position but we're like all born into it you know i still have a little bit of empathy for drivers because they're just trying to get to work you know their their boss is probably exploiting them and you know they've like <laughs> all sorts of stuff that they're angry about it's, and they're upset about and yes you know and they take it out they punch down you know, you know, I, and I think I think also, I mean, I, I've been driving a lot lately now that I live in the valley, which sucks. <laughs> but uh, it's it's you're just so isolated from anybody. You can just say whatever you want. Like you can bitch at everybody and nobody mm-hmm. hears you. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're totally impotent inside of the, you know, inside the car. No one can hear you. You're just driving. You're isolated. There's no relationship with anybody that's in front of you that you might. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Encounter on a street when you're walking. Like. And, and, and this is the, like talking about privilege and like the different positions we're in and who's vulnerable and who's not. Touch a driver's car and they will go absolutely ballistic. Like uh, someone will almost kill you. Literally no yes. hyperbole, literally almost kill you. And then you catch them at the light because of course you do. <laughs> and then you touch their car and now they want to kill you. They're like, don't touch my car. It, they, they have no, they don't understand that they are putting your life at risk and they're valuing their car and just simply touching it higher than your life. You know, I, I think you can say there's a lot of being hyperbolic, you know? That's, yeah, that's, it's, and, and that is a, um, it's seen as normal. Right, right, you know, right. That, that's a common, I've touched cars. <laughs> I have, I'm not, you know, I try, I don't want to be combative anymore, like. I'm kind of 50-50, like, 
I mean, I don't want to get. I want to humanize right, myself. Right, right, and you know, I found that that works the best. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into a conflict. I just want to be like, hey, man, like, we're both going the same place. You sped up to this red light, stopped. I came here a little slower. I'm still stopped here too. We both stopped. Right, right, right. You didn't it's have to race to this red light. It, it's such an interesting, like, sociological thing. You know, I've had yeah. people screaming and yelling at me and, like, literally swerve at me yeah. and then lecture me that, like, I'm being dangerous because I'm in the road. And it's like, oh, yeah. you feel guilty now? So you want to blame me for this? You know, it's wild. It's wild. And, like, having not ridden much over the last year and a half, it's interesting how, like, fewer of those interactions I have. Mm. Like, how you almost get used to, like, getting into arguments with people at least a couple <laughs> times a week, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it sucks. It's like... <laughs> There's, there's gotta, I don't know what we're going to do. It feels like, it feels like the bike mafia is like sort of in a lull right now or something. Like, yeah. Or yeah. No? I, I think about, feel? no, I do. I mean, I feel like it was this like real heyday of like 2005 to maybe 2011 or 12 or so where I felt like the arrow was pointed up for Los Angeles. Right. Think of all the benefits. Like this can be the best biking city in the world, best biking and walking and pedestrians and everything. Yeah. Like we have the people we have, we're j- kind of progressive. We have the weather, you know, we have the space in the street, you know, after riding here and then like going back and riding like New York city or Philadelphia, we were like, Oh my God, it's so tight. This is really, this is dangerous. We have a lot of space. We have a lot of space. We have a lot so of space. So we can space. accommodate more cycling and more pedestrians, you know? Like, I live in Hollywood. I live, like, right in the heart of Hollywood near Arclight and Amoeba. And it's like, why uh, are there so many cars there? Like, there doesn't have to be. Like, this should be a real city. I think a lot of people <laughs> visit from the suburbs. I think a lot of people come into the city from their suburban homes. I don't know, man. Now that I'm, now that I'm, like... Now that I'm older, now that I'm older yeah. and like hang out with fewer bike folks, like I realize that like people will drive one mile. Yes. Like totally okay. able-bodied, yes. you know, yes. young people. I understand that everyone can walk and everyone can bike. I don't want to be ableist here, but lots of like able-bodied folks will drive one mile. Right. They're car dependents, as I call them. Yeah. You're, you know. And, and they just don't think outside of that, you know? That's, I mean, there's so much marketing money in automotive that there's just, that it creates culture, you know. There's like $14 billion of automotive, just automotive company marketing, not the greater Right, right. Elon Elon Musk isn't going to save us, you know. It's like, we don't need to replace every car with an electric car. It's like, still going to kill the same number of people. But have you seen that (laughs) Cybertruck? I've seen the Cybertruck. I, okay. I agree that electric cars are the way to go. That's the way to go, right? Um, but you know, more cars is not the way to go. No, I I don't know yeah. why I said that. I'm, no, I'm but 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 the one that. thing that that the Cybertruck and Elon Musk does do, even though people bemoan Elon Musk, is it um, gets like uh, you know I don't know how else to say this. Like your Midwest people interested. <laughs> It's like car buffs, um, car culture people, like they're well, they're into the electric. Some of them you can maintain car culture, and they're moving at least into something more positive. You mean people who wouldn't care about climate change necessarily? Is that when you say Midwest or like? <laughs> but, but yeah, like care. Trump supporters. Like, do, I guess. Do you, do you think the average Tesla driver like actually cares about the environment? I'm not convinced no, they but, do. But them driving those electrics helps the environment agreed right marginally 
I think. Marginally, okay, it's true. You got to yeah, look at the whole life of the space yeah. yeah. and the tires, the battery, uh, crowding uh, out people that where might the electric- ride bikes or ride scooters or ride motorcycles or the, yeah, know. they're deadly still, and, and, and they're deadly. The, so they crowd the, out those other modes. Where, and where the electricity comes from? Yeah. It's from a from and fossil fuel powered uh, plant. Right, we're right. Very, we're very and might is right on our transportation. It's yeah, very classist. Mm-hmm, of course, and that too. And, um, you know, I think about this taking the train here and just like, you know, LA Metro is designed for people who are transportation dependent and it reflects that, you know? It's like just even walking here from the Universal um, um, stop, it's like I had to like walk through these bushes <laughs> because there wasn't like a, a normal route. I'm just walking toward the sidewalk and then suddenly there's like a fence in these bushes and I'm like, clearly this was just done in like a boardroom and someone's like, okay, this is my job is to design this fence and these shrubs without like thinking like people who walk and take the train right you know and it's so unfortunate because we're so close i, I was, think i mean that, that that station right there if you notice I, I did maybe take a wrong a, turn because I, <laughs> I no there's i've i i know that station pretty well the they did you notice the big bridge they put over yeah. the pedestrian bridge they put in this like 20 million dollar pedestrian bridge this was tom labange was behind this too they 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 took out all the crosswalks at the intersection where Universal Studios meets Lancashire. It's basically uh, west of or east of Coney. Uh, they took out all the crosswalks and they put in a twenty million dollar pedestrian bridge with escalators and elevators. Yeah. And you're not allowed to cross the street. So, just across the street, just so they didn't inconvenience cars. So now pedestrians have to go up this escalator go over this bridge go down another escalator and it goes diagonally then you get across again mm-hmm. it's, it, it's, it's for the benefit of cars yeah it's pedestrians totally for the benefit do work of cars. so that cars can save like a minute mm-hmm. it's for like 20 yeah, million dollars. it's ridiculous 20 million dollars plus maintenance they're gonna have to maintain that for the rest of yeah the elevator and the, the rest of the life of, of I mean, los angeles city <laughs> they're gonna have that fucking thing there and it's like just put in big crosswalks you know, let people yeah. cross the street. Put in crosswalks, <laughs> put the limit lines back. Do it like they do in all the European cities. Yeah. Like you go yeah. to European cities, there's, there's like, I guess there's, you know, automotive claustrophobia. There's like so many lines like controlling where you're going. And, but it's very organized and they have great safety. Um, and, and do you want to tie in some, some of your public health uh, knowledge? Yeah. I mean, uh, so, I, you know, I studied public health and, you know, I was this is about 15 years ago now or so whenever I moved to California and um, you know I was an activist I was a college activist you know bike stuff animal rights and vegan stuff all of that and then I get to graduate school for public health and it, it turns out like it's all about activism you know it's like health disparities like how do we address like racial and economic health disparities and it's like well the issue really is like health care like for-profit health care harms the most vulnerable people oh, and like know. we know this in public health Right. And we know that, um, um, you know, so much driving is is terrible for the air and it's terrible for the people doing the driving. It's terrible for the pedestrians. And like public health as a field does try to change these things, which is which is great. But then we sort of get into the machinery, you know, of, you know, working for the government or the state and whatever. And and it's hard to make these actual changes. You know, speaking of which, our next guest, we have a guest who's uh, running for city council. Should I go get her? Yeah, you go get them, and we're going to talk real quick. Matt, you did a public transit-only trip to the top of Mount Whitney, the highest peak in the contiguous United States, the 48 states. 
Mount yeah. Whitney and back. You traveled <laughs> by public transit. You didn't use a car. Well, um, so we did. We had a hitchhike at the last way, okay. the very last point the up and down. Portal? Up, yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell what we did. We we took um, the Sunset bus to Union Station, and we got on a train to Lancaster. And um, was it Lancaster or Palmdale? Um, I've done this twice in two different trips, so I'm confusing it a little bit. I should have read up a little bit before I left. Um, but and then we got on a shuttle that goes up to 395, like a public shuttle. It costs like six dollars or something. Really, I didn't mm-hmm. know that happened. It has a bike rack. It has space for snowboards. Get out of here! And you can here. get it from the train. And so bus to Union Station to a train to the shuttle, and then we got off at Lone Pine. And we didn't start at Whitney Portal. We did from Horseshoe Meadows and took the sort of back way. Oh wow! And so we just started walking. Yeah. And you know, most of the people who are going up there are going up to hike or do something. And so we just stuck our thumb out, and the first hiked, person. Yeah. Picked us up, so yeah. no new car trip was added. Right, and um, and then Love we it. so then got up there, Horseshoe Meadows. We we did forty miles in two days, I think. Came down Whitney Portal and just started walking. You, you guys summited Whitney. Yeah, we summited Whitney. Yeah, we and you went up the ninety. No, you went up the back way through Guitar Lake, right? Yeah, exactly, oh, exactly. It was so I came fun. In, I did Whitney. I came in through uh, Onion Valley through Kearsarge Pass. Ooh, yeah, I've been up there. Yeah, I I actually wasn't planning to do Whitney, but they gave me a pass. There was a Whitney pass. I went for the the day of for Kearsarge. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I was just bringing some food to uh, my friend Catherine, my uh, my friend, and and. Uh, it was so beautiful and I had never done uh, that was my first backpacking nice. really nice. trip or maybe second one I don't know but I was training to be in a high elevation and somehow I was, I was going to go leave and go back out Kearsarge I don't know why I'm talking about this I'm sorry everybody <laughs> let me finish really quick though I did end up doing Whitney because like for some reason I just decided to finish she was doing the JMT and we went up Guitar Lake and it was so beautiful oh my god right incredible yeah i mean we're so fortunate in southern california we have so much stuff here yeah, I know. you know and, and and that's you know it's like i talk about activism and but also like adventures like this stuff can be fun i wasn't like out to prove that you could do it it was just like yeah why not why drive if you don't have to and it um, is more adventurous it, right. if you if you give it enough time you accept yeah. like that it's going to take maybe a little longer or something and and i know that like it's funny as, as i get older and i'm around <laughs> more like normie folks where i'm like oh yeah that was a little dangerous that was crazy where normie. it's like like I'm used to like sleeping outside is not a big deal you know right. from, like bike touring and stuff and right. so like, another trip we did once is we took a greyhound to Visalia and then slept behind a building and then in the morning caught a shuttle to go up the other way and we were going to do a Trans Sierra and then do Whitney <laughs> but I got really sick Oh. I got terrible altitude sickness oh my terrible, god terrible oh terrible and so like five in the morning I couldn't even drink water. And so oh, we had to turn around and descend. But my friend, the same friend, had mailed stuff to Lone Pine, yeah. which is by road, what, hundreds of miles all the way around the Sierras because we were on the West Sierra side. Oh, you know what I'm if saying? you come up through Horseshoe? You no, mean? no, 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 different trip. Okay, we okay. from Vesalia. Yeah. And so we thought we, would, we were going to hike for five days, mm. Summit Whitney, and then come down to Lone Pine. But I right. got so sick we couldn't. Mm. Mm. So then we had a hitchhike. Mm. And we got on the train at Palmdale, which went to near Mojave, I think. And we caught a bus. And then we had a hitchhike back to Lone Pine. Oh, my God. So you guys had to go around the All south. the way around because oh I got my. sick. 
God. Because my friend mailed his stuff to the Lone Pine, you know? And you guys still hitchhiked <laughs> and did it like that. And we did it. And yeah, it was it funny. Was... And that was August. And um, we're like, and then I felt better. And we're like, let's go down to the office and see what passes they had. And we went on a Saturday. We slept in, drank coffee. And then we walked down to the ranger station. And the guy's like, Saturday in August. He's like, I can give you two Whitney passes if you want. Which is like unheard of, that's, right? That's the one uh, just below... Lone Pine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I got mine. Yeah. They gave it to me also. I think that's if you amazing. go day of... Right. Or the day before. Mm-hmm. I went the day before and I got the pass and he's like, here, do you get a pass to Whitney? And I was like, but I'm only doing Kearsarge. He's like, yeah, that's fine. Wow, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I ended up doing Whitney and it was just spectacular the the sunrise we were the first ones up there at like 3 a.m yeah we left at we left early because i was kind of i was i was afraid of heights actually i was going slow slow i don't know we were both slow but it was we left at nine we got there at 3 a.m the sun just the sunrise looked like a nuclear blast it was insane yeah it's incredible yeah so okay so um we're gonna have we're gonna take a break Matt, and we're going to keep you on, right? You're going to s- join us with uh, sure, the next guest. Sure, sure. I don't want to take her thunder, though. I want to make sure that... No, but uh, we, you know, if you have questions or... Yeah, know, input, well, I'm happy to us. hang out for sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we're going to take a break, and uh, we're going to bring on our next guest. Um, if you want to call in... Um, I can't believe anyone called to harass me. I know. Maybe... I don't know if I set this up right. 818-985-5903. Try calling in. There's some people listening. Um, we got our next guest, uh, Cindy, Cindy Otteson, and she's a candidate for council district 14. So we're going to have her next and, uh, let's, uh, let's take a break here. Gotta take a break too. Back here on Bike Talk, live on the KPFK live stream. And there are actually people out there listening, so if you want to call in, I don't know if I set this phone up right, it was off, so I don't know if this thing's even working. Let's pretend like that's the reason why nobody's calling. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay, so we're back, and we have with us, let me turn on all you mics. Let's see here. I'm working the boards here. Hi, we have uh, in studio, we have Cindy Otteson, who is a candidate running for Council District 14. And Cindy, are your headphones working? They are now. I had uh, another set, but I switched it out and now I can hear. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Really good. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. This is fancy, you guys. It's legit. (laughs) Legit. KPFK. Yeah. yeah, 
Um, so you're you're live. We've got Matt Rusigno in the house. Hi, Matt. Hello. It's been fun so far. Happy <laughs> to add another person to this. Yeah. We always try to gather as many people over the course of the show as we can. You know, everyone's invited to stay. <laughs> and we have Nick Richard. Hey. The guy that, um, I mean, you're the... You're the original. big kahuna. Yeah. Well. I'm taller than you, but. I was going to say, you're pretty. <laughs> he's not as tall, but. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Council District 14, currently held by Jose Huizar, who I really like Jose Huizar. I know he's had a lot of problems, but um, I really like the guy. And he's done a lot for cycling, which is, you know, what we're all about. But also pedestrian um, and. He's done a lot of things with development. What's his district, roughly, for people to know? It's downtown L.A., the majority of downtown L.A. It's Boyle Heights. It's Eagle Rock, where I live now. El Sereno, uh, Garvanza, Herman, Arroyo Seco, uh, and a lot of little kind of small communities within that, like Rose Hills. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what the district covers. And a tiny little sliver of Glassell Park and a sliver of Highland Park. It it cuts off right at York. It's a little interesting the way that they cut it. And in 2020, after the census, they will redistrict. So uh -huh. uh, we'll see what happens then. Yeah, it's really wow. it's really interesting how a, a couple of other um, districts are also cut up. So for example, Koreatown is cut up into four different districts. Four. So wow. the person that's sitting has. Um, has a lot of input into how that gets redistricted. Hmm. Wow, you know the district so well. You just named like every, that was like 20 <laughs> neighborhoods you named. Well, I That's live amazing. there. <laughs> I've lived in the district. I was born in CD14, actually, at Cal California um, Medical Hospital. And I've lived in LA all my life. And before moving to Eagle Rock, uh, I lived in the arts district for seven years and moved in at a time, believe it or not, where there was free unmarked parking on uh, traction in third street so i've seen um it change uh dramatically from even the time that i lived there for seven years until and then now and i still have lots of friends that live there so it changes from week to week and i, I mm -hmm. also worked in downtown so i know the district very well yes right on. so yeah and i've seen your uh pictures on a lot of the businesses and on eagle rock yes and i wanted to talk to you about about that street and about eagle rock boulevard yeah yeah I had it. I heard you had an incident. I did. <laughs> uh, a semi. It seemed like, from what you told me, it was a road rage light um, yeah. incident. Yeah. Like yeah. it didn't quite get to road rage, but it got to like road frustration mm -hmm. and road entitlement. Mm -hmm. Is that what happened? Yeah. That was road shouting. Did you shout? No. I just uh, loud enough to be heard across the street. Okay. <laughs> Any expletives? No, not at all. I, for a second, I was going through any horrible stuff I could think of to say, and then I... And then you were like, I don't want to die because we're the yeah, highest right. incident of road rage here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so it's interesting. I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I, I saw a hit and run happen last night. You oh, did? No. Yeah, I just remember. It was, it was one of those ones... There's 20,000 hit and runs in Los Angeles, but mm -hmm. it was one of those ones that was a property damage where a lady backed up and slammed into... Park car. A parked car. Mm. The alarm went off. She had dented it. And I was looking from my office on the second floor. I was looking out the window. Mm -hmm. And she walked up, looked at the car, took a picture, then took a picture of her car, then got in her car and drove off. 
<laughs> and I was kind of saying things along the way. I was like, I see you. I see you. And she just took off. And I was like, I tried to get her plate and I couldn't. I was taking yeah. pictures, though. She dented this BMW. It was, you know, that's probably like a couple thousand dollars of damage. So yeah. this is, like I was also talking to you about it, Cindy, is this is what activates people when something happens to them. Not that, but I mean, right. you know, Mayor Villaraigosa was turned, he gave us all these bike lanes. I don't know, gave us, but be, when he got hit. hit. Yeah. Um, Isn't that funny how people actually have to live experiences and before they can have empathy mm-hmm. um, for uh situation Mm -hmm. and I think that that's always a fascinating and interesting thing that if we had more city council members if we had more elected leaders that were actually living these issues Mm -hmm. and had experiences that informed and shaped their policy and the way that they lead uh, then we would get to a, a better place of equity across the city council so yeah I mean it's interesting that that's usually an experience that's lived and for me uh when it comes to um, being an activist, it really didn't happen until I had children. Um, and it, that's that lived experience where you end up having children and you're like, wow, it, my whole job here is to protect uh, this life and these lives from getting harmed. From the most healthy. vulnerable people in our society, children. Yeah, absolutely. And elderly, too. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I often think about if we can plan for the most vulnerable, which are children. Um, and if we can plan for a city that is safe for children, then we know that that is a city that is safe for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so you, you said my activism, right? You yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I moved to Eagle Rock. I joined the Eagle Rock Neighborhood Council because I had moved um, into a house. I was lucky enough to move into a house um, and uh, within the first week had known all of my neighbors and felt very welcomed and had that American dream of, uh, instead of cookies and and pies, people were bringing over salsa and Thai food and it was diverse and I felt like, wow, this is a place where I will grow old. This is a place where my children um, can, you know, go off to college and this is a place we we can rest and, and lay roots. And so when I looked around our neighborhood in Iraq, I saw so many people doing um, the hard work that it takes in volunteering their time and giving their energy to make the neighborhood as great as it was. And that's where I said, mm-hmm. I'm going to step up and I'm going to um, be a part of this neighborhood. And I am going to make sure that these schools um, are invested in because we moved in a time where our, our local public school wasn't, you know, um, at the highest levels that it could be. And I said, instead of going, oh, I'm going to just go to another option, I'm the type of person that says, how, how can I help? What can I do to actually make something better here? So what did you get involved in? So once I was on the neighborhood council, I dealt with lots of issues, land use issues, uh, public safety, homelessness education. And one of the main things that I saw is our local park had um, a lack of ADA compliant entrances and sidewalks at the park. And so I said, there's there's real estate here. Why isn't this being fixed? Mm-hmm. And so I found out how to get that done. And I got it done in record time. And the way that I got it done in record time was that I am... I'm known to be um, relentless, um, and so when somebody says, this is how you solve the problem, you talk to these people, you write this letter, you take it to this um, committee, I did that. And then you just call them and call them and keep on them until uh, and hold them accountable. And Because I'm really passionate about making public, especially public spaces, accessible for people of all abilities. So once I got that, it was kind of my first 
gateway drug, I guess you could say, into <laughs> civic activism and um, seeing results. And then there, while serving on the neighbor council, I met a mom named Mary, uh, Mary Whitehill. And her and I were both two moms, um, uh, probably some of the youngest people on the neighbor council. And we had another neighbor council member who was part of this church and had just met a refugee family. <clears throat> this was in uh, 2016, uh, in, in the height of the refugee crisis. And so this was something where we met one mom. Um, a mom met another mom, saw that there was a need, um, and it kind of spiraled from there. And that was another great way that I saw this huge problem this in my the heart. Syrian refugee this is Syrian refugee uh -huh. crisis in 2016, yes. And then I saw this big, this big problem, and this had just happened where I had just had my second child and saw... Um, the young boy who had washed up on the shores of Turkey. And that broke my heart and I couldn't sleep at night. I was crying every single night saying like, what can we do? And so this was a way that we turned this one mom meeting another mom who came from Syria. How can we welcome her and make her feel welcome after all of these, um, all of this terror and trauma that she's been through, the least that we can do is make her feel welcome in um, the United States. And so that turned into a nonprofit. We launched a nonprofit called Mary's List. And today we've activated over 75,000 Americans to welcome over 350 new arrival refugee families mm -hmm. from Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Iran. And so there was a, a, a place where it was, hey, here's this huge problem. How do we make this huge problem? And how do we reconcile that with uh, the deep um, concern that we have and the, and the heartbreak that we have into um, something that's solvable. And, and that was another really effective way. So I've gotten really good at solving big problems mm -hmm. um, and, and channeling, uh, channeling my rage um, effectively into the most productive possible way. So speaking of, of uh, channeling and big problems, and yeah. uh, you have something the, in your neighborhood, the the bus rapid transit was uh, was a big uh, is. issue. It is still is. Issue. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know yeah, what's the latest? Well, there was a lot of, um, in the beginning, just Metro had had a lot of these meetings. And I think that when we talk about rage, I think the funniest thing to say is that bus rapid transit, but the the R, the R in it, I think now stands for rage. It's <laughs> bus rage transit. Um, it's become a really divisive issue, especially in Eagle Rock. Um, and uh, as a person that lives two blocks away from this, I think that I have um, probably the most, um, will have and be the most impacted from this issue. And I deeply care about Eagle Rock, and I deeply care about people who are on both sides of this issue, people who are extremely against it, um, and people who are extremely for it. Can we back up for people who don't know about yeah, it yet absolutely. and say what Yeah, the, the, yeah. the bus rapid transit um, issue is Metro Measure M money, as far as I understand this, um, calls for a bus, ma bus rapid transit network throughout Los Angeles to improve bus transit for the whole city and uh they in in doing this they're going to be taking away some lanes out of some some of the bigger roads that we have in in the city and one of those one of those roads is uh colorado boulevard and that that's where it passes through eagle rock yeah. from pasadena and uh some folks want it on colorado and some folks want it on the freeway to completely bypass Eagle Rock, which would be a shame because you should be able to go somewhere. 
yeah, yeah. Get Eagle off, Rock. Get off the bus. <laughs> get on. Get off the bus in Eagle Rock. Yeah, that, yeah. that should be one part of this regional network. And, and specifically, it's a bus that runs like a train, right? And they, like, build out the stops. So there's already a rapid that runs through there, right? But they're just, just coordinating it's, it. I, it's mostly pain on the ground. No, it no, it's not. It's actually, like, they have, like, big stops. Really? Yeah. Like, uh, like, like, like the Orange like Line. Yeah, like the Orange Line. Yeah. It would have to be a dedicated line. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be – I mean, the Orange Line has fencing, though. They're not going to do that. They're, they're doing, like, lanes. They're taking – Yeah, it would be a lane. No, not yeah. quite because that one's separated. Um, Parts of the Orange Line do go – on the road yeah and because i know mexico mm. city has one has a brt that is incredible and i mean it comes like every like four or five minutes and it's huge it's just like a train yeah but it's a bus so like the it's much cheaper now, to now put in that ha- well that has infrastructure that has like like they built s- it separation walls and and the buses go this th- all we're talking about is a lane striping right on yeah. most of yeah i'm getting a thumbs up from agent x <laughs> Agent X. <laughs> yeah, it would be it would be Elaine, and right now it's still um, you know in the design phase that we're still waiting for an EIR for uh, the op- both options, including um, the freeway option. And so there's still some they're still in the planning process of it. Um, but yes, in in and just to back up even more, in 2016, over 70 percent of Los Angeles County voters actually voted in favor of Measure M, which mm-hmm. is the money that would fund this uh, BRT. We want good transportation, good transit in this city. We want that. We voted right. to have that. Right. Yeah. And yet, when it comes to the implement uh, implementation of it, it's. You know, when you can you can vote for something that, you know, you feel is good. But when it comes to implementing something, that's a completely different issue. So you can say, I want to build this house. But who you choose to uh, contract that house is extremely important of the end result. And I think right now, as a public agency that is offering hundreds of millions of dollars to bring improvements to Eagle Rock, when somebody knocks on your door and has a hundred million dollar deal, you open the door and you answer it and you listen to the deal. And then when it comes time, you negotiate an even better deal. And I think that that's where we're at right now. We need to get to a point where we want to make sure that we're looking at outcomes and we're looking at the grand scheme of things. So we want a more uh, walkable city, a beautiful city, a safer city. So when we talk about things like that, it's really easy to have those conversations with neighbors. And I participated in um, a couple of those conversations where uh, a local group uh, did that after a pretty divisive metro um, shouting kind of match. And so when when we do that, we realize, okay, as neighbors, we all want the same things. But when it comes to the fact that I also have friends who are business owners on this boulevard, I literally live a block and a half from the main strip. And so there's going to be no other city council candidate that's going to have as much investment in how this gets implemented. But also you look at a public agency and can you trust a public agency to implement something that only a neighborhood would know how best to implement. So Mm. that's where we need to make sure that we have um, a community that is actually listened to and heard. And I think the way that Metro went about it and did uh, and began in a really bad way. They kind of said, oh, there was broad support for this. And, they're, and you know, it, it immediately prevented the people who may have had a different stance on this to say, 
no, uh, I don't feel that way. And to say that there was broad support on this is not right. And so that already started the conversation. So we also have to look at how can we start conversations and change the narrative to actually bring people together into a conversation. And that can be done even from when we look at right now, we have the mayor's vision zero, we have the sustainability plan, we have a mobility plan, we have all these plans. But when you look at the way that they're implemented and the fact that the city council is run like, you know, 15 different fiefdoms and you have all of these Mm -hmm. silos, um, you know, you you get a result that isn't implemented the way that it was envisioned. And uh, the main reason for that is because there's a lack of uh, a dialogue that's happening in the beginning to, to shape the narrative and have a conversation where you can bring people together. And that's really what we need to focus on. And as elected officials, that is their main job, to have conversations, to listen, to bring people to the table that don't feel heard. There's a lot of anger. And and I've talked to the people who are very anti and people who are very for. And what I find that's so fascinating, and I'm not afraid to have those conversations with people, um, because it's about managing people's emotions and that anger comes from somewhere. And I talked to the, uh, a, a gentleman that gathered 2,000 signatures against the BRT. And I was just so, like, really um, fascinated by the fact that he has so much energy and was able to organize. And I thought that that was so amazing. It almost killed me to get 900 signatures just to get qualified for the ballot. And so if we can, you know, really take people's energy and passion for uh, the things that they really care about, which is the neighborhood, which is um, their businesses, and make sure that you have a city council person that's going to fight for families and neighborhoods first, and then that's when you get to restore trust. Now, do you have a position? Do you you do want BRT on Colorado? I am for transportation, yes. And I believe that when you, I want to, I want to make sure that my children have options mm-hmm. and I, that when I grow old I have options we need more transit period and infrastructure in um, in this neighborhood when I'm I'm for the idea of it absolutely mm-hmm. do I trust that Metro will implement it correctly right I'm I'm what, I'm not what's, sure what's your definition of correctly what do you feel like it that, should have that it sh- we should have beautiful medians with lush and rich trees that we should have infrastructure that's set up with um, you know, information where people can see uh, where they're going. We should have walkable sidewalks. We should make sure that every single business is not interrupted and negatively affected uh, by this. Um, and that overall, that the city is better for it. And that there okay. isn't, a, you know, this idea of like no net loss of parking, too, is like people, businesses especially feel like, okay, if, you know, there's parking in front of my street, that's when a person will decide to pull up and actually go into my shop and so we have to address how can we make this a net win for the entire city of Eagle Rock and make sure that we can take um, the dollars and implement it into Colorado which is overdue for a really you know big reimagining um, now see mm-hmm. okay the 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 opposition to the BRT their their case is about parking and access for cars and so forth and even that Colorado is an alternate to the 134 when the 134 is jammed up. And it's like, why do you want more cars coming through your neighborhood? I don't know why, but, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. They're, they're, they don't want it at all on, mm-hmm. on yeah. Colorado. Right. Yeah. Can I, okay, so I feel like under the underlying 
issue is that really we're, I mean, I am supporting the BRT not just because it gets people there uh, who, who need a way to get there or through there on their way to somewhere else, but because I think when there's a bus lane, then the the street is overall safer. It's more like mixed use. It's mm-hmm. um, we, we would need we would need to to uh, stat check that with Agent X. You know? So like, is Wilshire where the BRT so is safer because there's a BRT <laughs> lane? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Well, doesn't a bus lane like? Oh, okay. I am Talking for slower traffic. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I don't feel like I should have to explain why on right. on this particular show, but. Um, you know, and if you talk to people who are trying to keep the BRT out, they are not for slower traffic. And um, they may come up with all kinds of reasons other than uh, the fact that they don't want traffic to be slower. You like know why? ADA well, compliance or emergency when, vehicles. Or when, you, when you say slower traffic to them, it sounds ludicrous to yeah. like so slow, slow let's traffic because they don't have that traffic. metric. Yeah, so let's talk, about slower, let's talk about slower traffic. Let's talk about this loss, right? So all of this comes from this really idea of like us versus them, mm-hmm. right? And we are in, the language is already there in front of us. So if we have this here, then we lose this. People are super commuters. They're spending an hour and a half each way in their vehicles. So there's already anger and frustration in having to be in your vehicle. You were just in a vehicle with somebody behind you and they were like, why aren't you driving 10 miles faster? So this is already uh, speaking to the fact that we are all suffering from wanting to have a better quality of life. And that better quality of life means that we want to be able to get to the places that we need to get to faster. And we want to be able to have multiple modes of transportation to get there. So when we're talking about that, we have to address the fact that we are already pitting ourselves against this cars versus non-cars, freeway versus Colorado Boulevard. But no, you know, no traffic has ever gotten better when another uh, lane is added to a freeway. It temporarily might on the next day, but the day after that, it doesn't look at what the Mm -hmm. 405 brought. And because of the fact that we are severely underinvested in transit, we are only left to fight with each other. We are only left to fight for those types of us versus them approach. And so when we when we look at the language, we are all suffering from that. Like how how will this bus lane when we it's gonna slow traffic, I'm gonna be in my car longer, I'm gonna be angrier. So if we can look at structurally, how do we um, look at investing in transportation? And then we get to the outcome of we don't want to be in our cars. We want to be able to have multiple options. I want to be able to walk down Colorado safely and get to the other side without feeling like I'm going to die across this long highway. And when we look at things like I've been thinking a lot and I've been, you know, on um, different at different forums and having different conversations. And I think back to, you know, the 1984 Olympics. I was I was only five years old, so I can't remember. But what I remember is that people and who, who do remember and were old enough was that everybody took public transportation mm-hmm. because they had heard that the traffic was going to be so bad and that the car, the freeways were clear and that there was no congestion and it was lovely. Yeah. And so if we, if we think about I, that. I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember. I think I was like maybe 10 or 11 years old, so maybe a little bit more conscious of it. But mm-hmm. um, it uh there was no there was very light traffic because people left town people planned their vacations mm-hmm. and stuff to get out of town 
but they also change their behaviors. And I, and I think this is important because, right, like the business owners and people who are complaining about traffic, they're like objectively wrong. Though, right, that, right. Yeah, that's right. what I was going to say. They're, right. like, they're wrong, the point, and right? it's their that, perception. That they changed uh, behavior, you know? and that behavior ended up actually benefiting, that people had a benefit from it. They felt mm-hmm. good. They mm-hmm. were su- surprised. And right. that's proof right. right there that when we change behavior, but let's look at behavior. When we change behavior, what does it take to change behavior? When it, when you change behavior, and I come from a marketing and advertising background, that's what I did for 20 years, and we look at user experience. I took the bus. I've taken, I've taken um, uh, tried to take public transportation to downtown. It ended up costing me more and uh, 30 minutes outside of what it normally would take me to drive. So when we're looking at, because of the first last mile gap, we have to address that. And when I took it, I had a horrible experience. And so I was like, why would I make myself later to work 30 Mm -hmm. minutes every day to when I can just drive myself? But if I had the option of that first time that I can say, and I'm going to try it again, obviously, but for people who don't want to, mm-hmm. you, only get a, you only get one chance to make a good impression. And if we are not making a good impression and we can't change that user behavior or incentivize people to do that, then we've failed. We've yeah, failed. It's this catch-22, right? Because people have a bad experience because transit is bad. And then we're like, no, 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 we'll build more and it'll be better. And they're like, no, 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 you're not fooling me. It's bad. We don't need more bad. Because it's, (laughs) as someone that was born and raised here as well, it's been bad for decades. Public transportation. Because buses don't really make sense for regional transit. That's the problem here. Even for BRT, it's good. But it needs like a, like, and BRT in Mexico has a dedicated right of way. Mm -hmm. Right. But the infrastructure is there. And that's the other thing yeah. is that a lot of people are like, hey, there's already buses. And so then there's all these right. different agencies. And, how, and if we are not systematically looking at where can we improve things, where can we uh, look at how the bus routes are going now and, and use the existing before we build new, that's also – it's a good point. So how can we work with agencies to make sure that we are also improving uh, lines and routes and making sure that we are structurally – uh, reviewing you, and analyzing everything. You know, I was going to say something about that, and maybe Agent X could hear this and it could worm its <laughs> way back into the agency. Um, you know, for the BRT, like, my strategy, it's like, you know, sale, marketing and sales. I've been in marketing. Sell it to the public. Yeah, exactly. You could, you could even do things, like, you don't even have to really talk about it. You could just, like, make the lines thicker and <laughs> before declaring. You know what I mean? Like, do little things yeah. to, to and make the buses run with better headways. I, you know? I, I, th- I think we're working toward a movement of making it free. Oh, mm-hmm. And that I would be really amazing. right when we think about it, what is what does it cover? Like twenty percent, right? Our mm-hmm. actual the cost operating the, budget. Yeah. Well, they've said that they want to make metro free. Right. Imagine yeah. it would be huge. Would you be in right? favor of that? Absolutely. I think. We need to be looking at radical change. It shouldn't be a radical idea to have free public transportation. That is lowering the barrier to entry. What what mm-hmm. more? You know, it's been a marketing tool all the time. It's free. Just come and could try they, it. Could they use that as an excuse? Like, they'll be like, oh, well, everybody will be like, the buses suck. Well, it's free. So, you know, just <laughs> well, what do you no, want? No, you know, I think it's more free. I think. Or are they going to, is this the start? Are we going to do this? I remember I worked with someone you know? in downtown LA who lived in Pasadena, right? And 
there was a moment where we thought we were all getting free transit passes. Mm -hmm. And this is someone, you know, I'm taking transit, I'm riding my bike, no one else in the office is. And the, he was so stoked on this idea. He's looking up the train, he's looking at the schedules, he's doing all this stuff. And he's like, I'll do this, I can do this. And I'm like, really, like $60 is yeah. the barrier? <laughs> you make 60000 a year. Yeah. <laughs> but getting it free, mm -hmm. suddenly he's like, oh, there's a value and I'm gonna take <laughs> advantage. You are so right. Yeah. You know? Oh. Yeah, that uh, I did agree. Did you just we kill switch? Oh, did I just kill everybody? What happened? <laughs> what happened? No, you guys are still on. I hear you, Nick. You can't. Oh, the thing. I just like. <laughs> okay, I'm the one running the boards here. I don't know what I pushed. This is the what happened? Best. The headphones <laughs> didn't work. Did, did something? What? Are the headphones yeah. not working? Because I hear you guys. Did something happen? Over there? I did not touch anything. Did we lose? We lost everything. Yeah. It's yeah. all my fault. Okay, we're going to take a break. Oh, no, it was these. Nope. Did it? <laughs> did it? Try. We killed it, you guys. We killed it so much that it yes. shut down. Yeah. We were close what to... We're going to fix this technical <laughs> issue because this is, um, you know... So he can hear us. Not so cool. He can hear uh, us. Yeah, I can hear... Bike Talk, KPFK live stream. We do have listeners. They're out there. If anybody's listening that's listening to uh, uh, Cindy, Cindy Otteson, which, wow, um, we're going to bring her back on in just a second here. We're getting everybody with their headphones on. Do you guys have your headphones on? We're good? Okay. Let's get you yes. in here. Yeah, there we, we are. Oh, there we go. What's going on? So ah, okay. yeah. I want to talk about, so you're still Cindy, I hear you saying, talking about um, bringing people together. Um, you know, that's what Obama said, you know. <laughs> and, you know, the, Thanks, when we're talking about these, we call them NIMBYs. Um, you know, like, and you mentioned parking. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to take away one parking spot. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a whole body of of. Uh, studies uh, there's a there's a whole area of parking you know and about how um, I d I'm hoping that you can somebody I think everybody's distracted <laughs> somebody can jump in here because when you're talking to people who like you said Matt okay. are objectively wrong about something like in public health mm -hmm. you know there's just there's there's bringing people together has its limits you know like when the Republicans are willing to uh, deny, try to suppress and deny science. Yeah, For example, I mean, you don't reach across the aisle anymore. You, when I don't know what you, you, you do. Know, but when it comes to when it comes to this issue, though, it's like if you want to, in in my opinion, to sell it to basically homeowners and business owners are who the politicians generally care about most, and mm -hmm. developers. Yeah. Um, you have to sell it to those people because that is just the reality of politics in our city you're not going to get money out of politics anytime soon so now we got to sell it to so you know yeah, let's talk about that first of all i do believe you can get money out of politics in fact i'm doing that right now so i've pledged a hundred percent clean money campaign oh, because i absolutely believe that is the way that we get to transparency and better governance and if if I don't make that decision now, then I will have to make that decision later. And so what I am messaging and signaling to people is that you cannot buy me. I am unbought, and I will continue to make decisions based off of how I can help the most amount of people. So when we talk about YIMBY, right, 
or I'm sorry, NIMBY. There's NIMBY. NIMBY and there's okay, YIMBY. There's, we want them to get to YIMBY, but there's three. There's NIMBY, not in my backyard. There's mm-hmm. YIMBY, yes, in my backyard, and then there's FIMBY, right? Public housing in my backyard, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Because because the housing P- crisis P-H, that's happening, public housing, yes, FIMBY, yeah, yes. it's mm-hmm. it's capitalism is in is once it's not going to build itself into a glut. They're not going to build themselves into, you know, we can't rely on <coughs> private development only to solve the housing crisis. There has to be some kind of public housing is my opinion, my humble opinion. So let's, I feel like we've, we've gotten really layered and I think that there's a lot here. So when we talk about, first of all, talking about how do you, you don't, do you, when do you reach across the aisle and when, when do you decide not to? Uh, so I think that you, as a leader, uh, it is your job to always be open to having a conversation with everybody. It's about managing people's feelings. And no matter, yes, there's right and there's wrong and there's science and there's facts, but then there's also feelings about those science and mm-hmm. facts. And so we can never say that a person's feelings aren't valid, right? Mm-hmm. We can say that facts aren't true, that um that this is absolutely not true or is, you know, but when somebody feels a certain way about it, we, we have to recognize and be respectful of that person's feelings, right? That's something that I've learned also in being married for I was just a long, say long that. time, right? Because <laughs> yes. we have a lot of conversations where it's like, I understand, but this is, this is my opinion and this is how I feel. So uh, when we're talking about making sure to listen to people, yes, the people who are the loudest usually get the ear of the elected official because that signals that they have the resources and the vote. But that is why I'm also interested in making sure that I am uplifting the voices of the quiet. So it Mm. is a job of the elected official to make sure to represent all of your Mm. constituents. And in CD14 and all the districts, it's about 250,000 people. So what would it look like if you had a leader that was actually actively seeking out the quiet voices and bringing them to the table and acknowledging that there is only one type of voice in the room, if that's true, and how can we make sure that we are uh, uh, ensuring equity in every single decision that is made. And so that's why when um, my platform of Families and Neighborhoods First, every single decision that I make is informed by that platform. How can this benefit the families and the neighborhoods of this district and everybody that you talk to young or old rich or poor is going to be for families and neighborhoods and so when that's how you reach across the aisle that is how you get to an outcome uh, that you can build trust and a lot of it is restoring trust there's a lot of trust to be restored um, in this district there's been a hundred years of um a lot of scandal when I was looking up every single person's name, regardless of yes, has Jose Weezer done some great things for this district? Absolutely. But he's a lot of time to do them and he's had a lot of distractions. So when we talk about looking at how can we make sure that we are helping all of the residents, we owe it to everybody to have hard conversations about it, but you don't shy away from being honest. Uh, and that is why I, I'm pledging 100% clean money campaign because I am honest and I want to continue to be honest. And I use the, um, the analogy of when you're getting married, if somebody offers you $50,000 and says, I'm going to pay for your wedding, that money is going to come with strings and opinions. And you're going to feel compelled to listen to those because you're, that's not your money. So it's the same thing. Money has an influence and it's not 
necessarily that there's like some henchmen in a dark room with money. It's just like money has influence. We all are trained in our lives to want money and we need money. Yeah, like the wine cellar isn't the issue. The wine cave <laughs> is not the issue, right? It's what that means and looks like and who has his ear. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so clean money. And tell us a little bit more about what clean oh, money I'm means. Sorry, what for, does that mean? Because this is going to be in a time capsule. We have to explain that Pete Buttigieg, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Pete Buttigieg. With the wine cave. Yeah, with, with the, the wine, wine cave and the crystals uh, and everything. Okay, we don't got to explain that. Look it up. Google <laughs> it. No, no, no. Yeah, little inside <laughs> stuff. It's not really distracted on that. We're talking about CD14. We're talking about nuts and bolts stuff for the district. There's the housing crisis. There's all these things that a council member has so much influence over, you know. So anyways, um, you know, thank you for coming on to our show. We're actually over. I, I would love to keep talking more about this, but we're trying to keep a schedule on, on bike talk. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's have you back. Cause, um, did you say next Friday? <laughs> I did. Great. Yeah. We'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, Nick. Oh, yeah. next Friday, I think we're, we're having You know, we can do yeah, like we'll a thing with, with Megan, Megan Sally, Sally Wells, and uh, she's the mayor of Culver City. Have a conversation of, uh, you know, politics. Wow. Like a segment, yeah, yeah, like a serious. Like the two of you talking together. Like put us on the radar style <laughs> politics. So yeah. where can we, you know, get involved in your campaign, donate yeah. uh, our clean money? Give us the, give us I'm glad you asked. I've been yeah. waiting to say this the entire <laughs> yeah. show. Yeah. Uh, if you would like to learn more about my platforms yes. and policies, please go to Cindy, C-Y-N-D-I, 2020.com. Cindy, like Cindy Lauper, 2020.com. And I am up against a fundraising deadline. 1231 is the last public fundraising deadline because the one after that, it's quarterly. So March 3rd is when you vote. And it's important because money is important in this. I am up against two career politicians who have outraised me by 10, 20 times. So I just need to raise. We don't, we, we don't need millions of dollars, but we do need enough to be competitive. And so there is something that the city has done to help grassroots candidates like me have a leg up in this race. So it's called city matching funds. So every single L.A. resident um, in the city of L.A. has an uh, opportunity to have their donation up to $114 matched six times. Wow. So a, a donation of $20 would be, would be $120, and a donation of $114 would be $684. And this is, this is only for donations made by people that live within Los Angeles City? Right, within the council, just the 15 council districts. Oh, within the district? Yes. No, 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 within all no. any all of the districts, all, all of the all 15 of the across okay. the city. Okay. Now, any U.S. resident can donate and, right, at a maximum get, of $800. Yeah. It's still really helpful. Yeah. $800 donors, where are you at? Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, bring it on. Yes, but it won't get matched at a six-time rate. So Okay. Wow, that's a great policy that really yeah. sort of weights it for the citizens of Los Angeles. We should have a bigger People set. love a deal. When <laughs> they find out that it's six times, they're like, wow. So oh, right, yeah. It's, you know, it's again that, that deal. People want a deal. And so, yes, yeah, six-time match for the city of like, LA Do residents. you want your money to be six times as powerful? Yeah, yeah exactly. I, you know what? That did have me reaching for my wallet. Yeah. Great. Do it, Nick. You've donated to other campaigns. Uh, yeah, he's, I will. He's flush like that. I would hit him up for a little <laughs> beefy donor donation. Uh, Twenty bucks. Great, <laughs> I'll take it. Okay. It's a hundred and twenty dollars. So That's yeah, I would do it. twenty bucks. Yeah. I'll do See, that. yeah, there we Throwing go. Going down. Hundred and twenty bucks. All of a sudden, you hear that out there, everybody? Let's do this. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. C y n d i twenty twenty dot com.
slash donate? Yes. Okay. It's in the little corner up there, so you can't miss it. All right. What about Matt? Does Matt have a... Did you... Oh, yeah. Let's get Matt... Let's oh, get man, your, we don't have to do anything for me. Let's oh, get yours. Forget it. No, no, just say my, no, no, no. Just say my <laughs> website over. Okay. Cindy, like Cindy Lauper. Cindy. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, I'm easy to find. My stuff is all my name, um, which maybe isn't that easy because my last name is Rusigno. Um, but, yeah, Matt Rusigno, R-U-S-C-I-G-N-O, and um, on all the social media stuff, if anyone, for whatever reason, would want to get in contact with me. Right on. Cool. We're going to cut out with the music. I know, that's why I have it on my way. The transportation shows I care. Every turn of the pedal cleans the air. Green in the green, I'm saving the planet. Just like my friends Daryl, Sean, Toby, and Janet. No greenhouse gas, a tiny carbon footprint up your ass. I'm on a motherfucking bike. kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group.